You need to have that down pat. Secondly, when you're listening to others, you need to have some idea of where they might be coming from. Every great general in every biography that I've read of a military general have always studied their enemy. Well, that they have some idea of what their enemy is like and what they're going to do. We went through, when going through boot camp, we went to North Carolina for training before we went overseas. They sent us to a prison camp. And one of the things I don't like about Close Cuffs, I don't know if you went through it, Jasper. We, had, we were put down into two barrels. They had two barrels well together down in the ground, and they lowered you down between those two barrels. And then they put a lid over it. And all the lights you saw were just the little lights that was coming through the lid. It was a psychological effect. Then they would put you with a log in your arms with your back and milk, and you had to hold that log out. And every time that log dropped, you got a hit. And they did some other things to us. Psychologically, preparing for us, if we got captured, what might happen to us. I mean, I just finally told one drill instructor, if I knew the president's address and phone number, and I'd tell it to him. So don't tell me nothing you don't want to be told, because I'll tell it. And the thing is, they were preparing us for how to face our enemy. One of the things that takes place in church life, as you're learning, is to prepare you to face your enemy. Let's have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to have Mark show a little clip for him. Father, we want to thank you and praise you that, Lord, your desire is to teach us, your people, to teach us, oh God, that we might know how to give an answer against every heresy, against every false teaching, that we would know how to stand as the fiery darts even come against our own family. And as our children will hear the different philosophies and teachings that are out here in this world, that we'll know how, oh God, to instruct them even that they might stand against the false teaching of demons and of Satan. May you open our ears, may you open our hearts, and may you pour wisdom from heaven to us. And Lord, will give you praise. May you minister to us. Because Lord, you tell us, Lord, not to neglect so great a salvation. You've given us knowledge. But more than knowledge, Lord, you made yourself available to us. 
to give wisdom whenever we lack it. And Father, we thank you for the one who truly teaches us, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Give us an inner ear to hear him. Give us the courage to speak what he gives to us. And Lord, may you guide us in our conversations with others. Lord, minister to us this morning. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Ready, Mark? Go. What you see on the screen for me. Space inside this circle represents my realm of knowledge. All that I think I know about whatever I think I know is depicted right here within this circle. I must keep in mind that there is more to know than what is within the circumference of my awareness. Did y'all grab that? I start all of my lectures off with this. And the reason why I do that, brothers and sisters, is simply because I am a teacher. Did y'all hear what I said? Yes. Now, what does that mean? That means that when I stand up to talk, I am going to say something that you don't already know. Because if I only say what you already know, then I'm not teaching you anything. Got me? Now, the problem is, we have all been programmed to immediately reject what we hear that is not inside our circle of awareness. You follow what I'm saying? So, that's the reason for this. Because I know I'm going to say some stuff, and when I get ready to say something that I know is outside of your circumference of awareness, I'm going to say, hold that circle up. Hold that circle up, all right, so that you're, so it kind of prepares you for what I'm about to say that you don't like, like there is no Jesus. You see what I'm saying? See? <laughs> okay. And I know it's a little hard to digest, but as we get through this today, I hope you'll understand a little bit better. Moving on, why do I stand up and do what I do? Why? The whole reason why I get, on, get out the bed every day, the whole reason why I go on the air and talk to people all over the world every day, it's my life, is so that I can begin the process of undoing or reversing ideas and concepts that have been what? Programmed. That's an important word. Programmed into the minds of our people by what? The religious statements and what else? Church doctrines that have caused us to adopt a belief system that is what? Resulted in our loss of contact with what is real, factual, historical, and spiritual. Y'all grab this. I want you to understand why Brother Ray is here. Okay, I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to do exactly that. I want to say something today that will really begin the process of undoing the programming. The programming that got us messed up. The programming that literally has disconnected us from reality. Okay? 
I got an email. I, I, I sent out an email blast just a couple of days ago. I was up to about 3 o'clock in the morning writing this thing. A young lady uh, asked me to prove to her. She's been listening to Black Liberation Radio, lady. She asked me to prove to her that Jesus never existed or that Moses never existed. See? And I, I sent this long email back trying to explain to her it is impossible to prove the non-existence of a thing. Think of, think of me for a moment. If something never existed, how can I prove that it doesn't exist? So I told her, I said, let me, let me reverse the challenge. Prove to me that they did exist. And I will pay all of your living expenses for the rest of your life. <laughs> you see? That's what we should be. And I asked her, I said, you're asking me to prove to you that there was no Adam. There was no Eve. There was no Noah. There was, you asked me to prove this to you. Did you ask your original teachers who taught you this to prove to you then that they existed? No. The answer is no. I didn't do it. I was raised with a belief system. I was raised in a belief system. And I accepted it. I digested it without ever verifying the existence of anybody I had been taught about. Can I get a witness? You would be honest with me. You have to say, well, he is telling the truth. He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth, because that is right. We didn't stop to ask for proof. And we grew up believing it until somewhere in our psycho paradigm, it has become our reality. It has become our reality. That doesn't mean it's real, though. It simply means it's our reality. Am I making sense so far? Cool. So what's deep is when you honestly believe that a person raised somebody from the dead, or when you honestly believe that somebody took two fish, five loaves of bread, and fed over 5,000 people, I mean, when you honestly believe that somebody broke God's laws of nature and walked on water. Now, trust me, I am a psychotherapist by profession, okay? And what we call the, the, uh, the manual we use for determining psycho Diagnostic manual. Thank you, brother. Okay? In there... There's a code that means if you believe something that is not in the context of fact and reality, you have a mental disorder. For example, if you believe, if you believe that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you wouldn't even say it glowed. If you believe that, as an adult, something's wrong. You follow me? Because that's not with fact, real, and reality. It's not historical. Okay? Religion has done that to us. It has us believing stuff that's got us messed up as a people. 
Now y'all see why I have security. Now I know that's funny. Captain will bear witness to what I'm saying. Brother's known me for a long time. Preachers are the ones who have threatened me. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Pastors are the ones who have said, we're going to stop you by any means necessary. And the only thing I've asked them to do is invalidate what I've said. I ain't selling drugs, man. I'm not a drug dealer. But they are. You're a drug dealer. They're selling a drug called religion. See? I'm not, I'm not messing with nobody's child like some of them are. You see? I'm just trying to tell the truth. So why do you, National Baptist Convention, want to shut me down? You see? I was on the air one Sunday morning, and Captain radioed up to the radio station for him to come down and said, uh, Captain, uh, I mean, uh, Chief, um, you, why don't you stay up there for a while? Because there's somebody down here. We got him to deal with this person. I said, well, who is it? He says, there's a man down here waiting to see you. I said, well, is he armed? He said, no. I said, well, I'm coming down then. Right. You know, hey, I'm a man, he's a man. You know? yeah. I ain't no punk. We can punk. <laughs> 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 you know, what got to done because as soon as I stepped out of the radio station, Captain Bear Witness, this brother charged at me and said, I had to do He was one of the ministers in St. Louis because he was under a mandate to stop me. You see? So it's really deep that I have to go through this from religiously. You know? Did you see him using religious terms? Did you hear him say, uh, do I have a witness? He made a church like, didn't he? But his whole basis, there is no Jesus. There's no resurrection. And if you believe that, you have a what? Mental disorder. Believe it or not, our young kids are picking up more and more of this. So the thing is now, how do we prepare to even talk to our young generation about what they're hearing on the airwaves or in the universities about God? This man was a pastor for over 15 years within the United Baptist National Group, Baptist Group. He pastored one of their largest churches. And now his whole thing is to fight against the church. Let me read you something. The other night, Elaine and I, we just sat up in bed, and I, and, I, and I asked her a question. When you were coming up, how many ways did you hear about being born again? Because the term was not born again back then. 
And she starts saying, well, join the church. By joining the church, you would be what? Saved or whatever. Being baptized was an important thing. That if you were baptized, you were what? Saved. See? And we just talked about different terms of how people used before the term born again really became knowledgeable. And the biggest term was, are you saved? And that was the big question. Are, are you saved? Now we claim, are you born again? <laughs> you know. Thurman Marshall. He says, he's talking about a dentist class. Marshall. Thurman Good Marshall. Supreme Court Justice. I said, I, I like to read a lot of biographies and, and so forth about people and generals and different folks. But he says, but Grimm, he flunked me. That was his medical professor because he is going for a dentist. But him and this professor fell out and the professor flunked him. No matter what his real score was, he just flunked him. But he was a great teacher. He was just one of those way out people like today's born again Christians. Started talking to me. I remember being at the White House luncheon where a woman started talking to me about this born again stuff. I said, Madam, please. I cannot be born again. She asked, why? Now, now see if you can find a biblical verse that sounds pretty familiar to how he's going to address this question. And she asked him, well, why can't you be born again? I said, my mother's dead, so how am I going to be born again? And boy, did she get mad, really mad. First of all, he may not really understood the what? The question. Because for him, it may have been join the church, be baptized, or be what? Saved. Are you saved? Here's somebody using a new term back then, born again. The reason I'm bringing this up is to go with my message today. John the Baptist is going to face Pharisees, Sadducees, Romans. He's going to face all the philosophies of that day. He's going to have to deal with all the teachings of that day. John the Baptist's ministry was broad, not just to Israel. It was broad. Understand something. Your ministry is broad. Your ministry is broad. That when you're talking with somebody else, you don't know how many people around them are listening. 
You may think you're talking to this person when you're really talking to that person, that person, and this person back here. Your ministry is broad. When you touch one person, you don't know how many effects that's going to have in the lives of other people. He lived in the desert. Had to be at least 27, 28 years, no more than about a year, year and a half before Christ started his ministry. Some project that he died about a year before Jesus died, that he was beheaded. But the preparation time, the preparation time, how many of you are allowing yourself to be prepared? How many of you allow yourself to be prepared? You know what miss in a lot of young men's life? The preparation that it takes to be a godly man. The preparation it takes to be a man of God. The preparation that goes beforehand is vital and it's important. And many young men today are missing that preparation that has to take place in life. And really to be the godly young man God calls them to be. And it's not something today we put a high value on. Preparation or preparing. How many of you would allow a surgeon to operate on you with one day of schooling? You want him to get what? All the education, go through all the stuff he needs to go through. You just don't want to hear that I went to medical school for one day. Yet, that's what's happening to many of our young men and our families. Because I'm this age, I think I'm ready. Because I'm 21, I'm ready. Because I'm 25, I'm ready. We got some 50-year-old chillings running around here. They have never matured or never grew up or were never taught. He lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. God has a time for each one of us to appear, in a sense, publicly. Whether it be on the job, whether it be in the grocery store, wherever it might be, you're in the public. And God somehow sets those times. Elaine and I was at Acme One, and, and, and she uh, recognized somebody. Somebody recognized her, and they had really seen each other since high school. And it was Margot Prey's sister, and they started just in the conversation. I'm just listening and so forth. And, and, and the woman started talking about her religious life, how she's been taught by the Jehovah Witness, how she's been taught by this, how she's been taught by that. And when you mix all that stuff up, you really don't know what to do. (laughs) 
or what to believe. Here she is, close to 70 or older, and, and yet have all this confusion in life. And people have all that confusion because there's so many teachings out here. Remember the first thing he said? I'm a what? Teacher. Teacher of heresy. A teacher that is against the Lord. The one thing that he left out, his circle, he didn't put himself in. He didn't put himself in, his circle. And the other thing that happened with him is this. He discounted this one thing called faith. Faith always overrules, in a sense, facts. History is great, but my God is the God of history. And one thing about the whole Bible The Bible is not out to prove that God exists. That's not the point of the Bible. To prove that God exists. What the Bible is out to declare is the salvation that God has presented to a people and how a people should live who believe in God. He missed all that. And oftentimes we miss that. That the Bible is out to teach us how we should live in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. God has an appointed time. Let's go read that verse in Luke chapter 1. Because we need to recognize that God has this appointed time. And God is the one who sins. He says in verse, let me get there. Here's, yeah, here we go. I'm, I'm staring at 79 rather than 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. A toughness inwardly. Because you're going to have to have a toughness inwardly. You're going to have to know what you really believe. And you're going to have to know what God has said to you. Not what Pastor Brown has said to you, but what God has said to you. Not what Melvin has said to you. Not what Pastor Travis has said to you, but what God has said to you. Because if God speaks to you and God teaches you, no man can take that from you. He said he grew in spirit. And he lived in the desert. Why the desert? Lord, why would you take me to the desert to teach? Well, 
for one thing, a lot of good people learned in the desert. Moses learned a lot in the desert. The whole process. Elijah learned a lot in the desert. Paul learned in the desert. He's in good company being in the desert. Understand this. Sometime the desertness of your life is the learning place for you. We all want to learn in the air condition, in the comfort. But sometimes God puts us in places that are so uncomfortable to teach us. And he learns in the desert. And it says, And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly in Israel. Hey, Lord, have you forgotten you filled me with your Holy Spirit from birth? Even while I was in my mother's womb, the Holy Spirit was there. Hey, 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 God, have you forgot when Jesus was in his mother's womb and, and they came and visited that I jumped? Have you forgot? Why, Lord, are you holding me up from start? I can start my ministry while I'm crawling, Lord. I can start my ministry when I'm five, when I'm six, when I'm seven. Understand this. God has an appointed time for all of us. I never knew while I was in the military in Vietnam, I thought I was studying religion because I took the course because it was free on religion. I wanted to be safe in case I didn't, in case something happened over there and I didn't come back. <laughs> that I was okay with God, so I was studying religion. And for about a year and a half while I was there in Vietnam, those 13 months, I studied religion. <laughs> Calling myself being safe just in case something happened. And here's John out there in the desert waiting for ministry to start. God has an appointed time for ministry to take place. And he appoints that time in his preparation of you each and every day. He's preparing you to meet somebody. He's preparing you to talk with somebody. He's preparing you to counsel with somebody. He's preparing you to give a word of knowledge to somebody. He's preparing you to slip in some wisdom to somebody. God's doing something in you first before he opens your mouth to others. He's doing something in your own personal life that would draw others even to you. God knows who he wants the message to reach. He knows. God knows who he wants to speak to. And he knows who to send you to. God knows. Now he sends this message to Israel. John's in the desert. You're going to go to Israel. And what's left off in this is this. 
but you can begin to check it. If you'll take the map and look at the Jordan River, and that's where God had John the Baptist do the majority of his ministry there at the Jordan River. And just go around it and see all the groups of people that are around it. On the west side is Israel. Quite a bit of the tribes and so forth. But on the east side, many Jews have went over. But you got Gentiles. Up in Galilee, where it was known for Gentiles, where Jesus made his home for headquarters, in a sense, for ministry, it's not too far from the Jordan River. So, he's also going to speak to the world. John's not just speaking to Israel, but he's going to speak to the world. Now, the knowledge of salvation, and that's what Scripture says, that John's going to give forth. That he's going to give forth. Jump back up into verse 77 in, in uh, chapter 1 of Luke. He said, to give the people the knowledge of what? Salvation. Through the forgiveness of their sins. So John's going to give out a knowledge of salvation. He's not going to give salvation. you and I can't give salvation. But we can give what? The knowledge of salvation. We can give the way. That's why they call the Roman way. The way to salvation. We can't give salvation because there's only one who can give salvation. And that's God himself. But what we want to do is be used by God. Like John the Baptist was used. We want to be used by God to prepare the way of people to hear the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be preparers of the way. But before we can become the preparers of the way, we ourselves have to be prepared. We ourselves have to be taught. One of the worst things about the church today is that we're lazy when it comes to being taught. We think Sunday morning is good enough. But you go to any university and you only go one day a week for two hours and see how long it takes you to graduate. There's not another system, even... Islam expects you to do more than one day a week for a couple hours. Any club you join, you got to go through a rigid teaching. And it's going to be more than just one hour or two hours a week. You can't even join what they used to call Amway without some rigid teaching and classes you have to attend every week. There's not an organization that is really goal-oriented that you'll join and you only go 
couple hours on Sunday and think you have fulfilled everything. If church could be open every day, we should be here every day. If there could be classes taught every day. The problem with us is that we believe that if we taught classes every day, people wouldn't show up. Because in your own mind, Satan has diluted you to believe you do enough already. And when it comes to standing against a Jehovah Witness, most Christians cannot stand toe-to-toe with a Jehovah Witness. Most of us can't stand toe-to-toe with somebody who has been taught about Buddha. And the process is because we won't avail the time to be what? To be taught. Now, there's nothing wrong with self-teaching. But I guarantee you this, you learn more in a group than you do individually. You can ask yourself questions, but you'll hear more questions asked if you're in a group than if you're by yourself. The knowledge of salvation is not just for Israel nor is the confession of sin, the repentance of sin, for the forgiveness of sin, just for Israel. It is for who? The world. And what God starts here is a pattern that is going to break away from the temple that leads to the church. The confession of our sin, true repentance of those sins, and Experience the forgiveness that can only come from God. He takes John from the temple. Why? He would not be impressed by what's going on in the temple. Remember how you dealt with your sins at the temple? You bought a pigeon dove. You bought a lamb. You bought a calf. You bought something to be sacrificed. No more sacrifice because God doesn't delight in our sacrifices. broken, contrite heart. And the people are going to begin to learn something different. That they can just go out here to this raggedy old preacher and some camel hair that's not in the temple in fine dress and don't need a sacrifice because you yourself become the living sacrifice when you confess your sins and you repent of them sincerely in your heart and you sense the flood of forgiveness that comes in through Jesus Christ. And he's making that change from the temple heading towards the church. That people would recognize no more really temple, but church. He's heading that way. Now, in Luke 3, 2, it says the word came to John. And he says in 3, 2, During the high priesthood of 
Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zacharias, in the desert. The word came. God says, hey, John, time to go to work. Time to go to work. From childhood, mom and dad lived in Judea. Yes, desert area. You're growing up in the desert area. You're being prepared for ministry. Man, you might be ready to go. You may think you're ready to go. And God says, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then God opens that door. God opens the door for ministry. And he speaks to John, and he says, John, now's the time. Go back to one for a moment. In that verse 80. And the child grew because the child grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the desert. Catch the word until. Until what? Until God said go. Until God sent him. Until God says time to start ministry. And God knew who he wanted him to minister to. Yes, Israel. Why Israel? Israel is still the starting point for everything God does. Even for the return of Christ, we're looking at what's taking place with who? Israel looking for the return of Jesus. Because it all starts with who? Israel. The chosen people, in a sense, not to somewhat be better than anybody else, but that's always God's starting point to do something. That affects everybody. Desert place. Again, why live in a desert place? He learned how to be an Elijah. He learned how to be an Elijah. To speak God's message. He was learning how to trust God's message. He was learning God's message that God wanted him to speak. Understand, there was no seminary for him to go to. Not to learn what God wanted him to share. There was no books, really, for John to really read and study for this transition of time period other than to sit and study with God and hear from God. And God is preparing him. God is teaching him. And he's learning to be an Elijah. He's learning to be that. And to speak God's message. He is learning how to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedience to the wisdom of righteousness and to make ready a people for the Lord. In Luke 117, you're able to hear that so loudly and so clearly that he's saying that, that this is what he will do. He says, 
boy, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Guess what? Couldn't learn that in the temple. Couldn't learn that being a priest in the temple. You have a place or a time. You have peace between father and children. Can you see that today? How many children need to be reconciled with a father? There is so much going on in our world that somehow this relationship that's supposed to be a bond and very tight has been broken. Just think of the children at that time. Are the Romans right or is Israel right? Our children today, they fight the issue, is our government right or is the Bible right? Is it right to just live together Or is it wrong to do what government says, in a sense, marriage? Is it wrong to disobey your parents? Or do I have my own independence and I am my own person and I do what school teach me, that I'm an independent person and I can figure out for myself if I'm a boy or a girl or whatever I want to be? Oh, if you hit me, I'll call 911. Well, you better be ready to call Stuart and Calhoun, too. But, but, but the, whole, the whole process is that we grow up, young people with all this independence and so-called freedom that goes against what God's Word says. That if I commit fornication out here... Uh, before I'm married and all that. It won't bother me over here. Yes, it will. It will affect your psyche. It will affect your mental process. That even when you sleep with your wife, you'll be also having thoughts of others that you slept with before. It will bother you up here. Even for the wife, who knows that. And even for the man who knows his wife was that way prior. The question is always in the back of the mind. Will it happen again? Will it happen again? Will it happen again? And the damage it does to us, even sometimes, not align the two to really become close. This whole thing is renewing the family life. 
bringing father and children back together. The reason the father, because the father is the head of the family. Remember what happened to the jailer in Acts when he received the Lord? What happened? His whole household. Remember when Cornelius accepted the Lord? The whole household. Why? God intended that father to show forth the wisdom of righteousness and justice that would affect one generation to the next generation. When you have an ungodly father, you cannot teach the wisdom of righteousness that is a blessing and a benefit. A child who grows up not knowing what is right to do, there's only one thing left for them to do, be disobedient. And they don't know they're being disobedient because they've never been taught what is right. And that's why he says to the disobedience, wisdom is taught of righteousness. Because if you're never taught what's right in life, you never see righteousness demonstrated in your family, in your home you pick up the same pattern of disobedience that is not a blessing to you. And here we have now the curse of father and mother being passed down now to what? Second, third generation. He says the wisdom, the value in doing what is right. You know, people don't think there's any value in doing what is right. They don't see any value in that at all. Trying to pull up a verse here. Go to, I think it's Malachi. Yeah, go to Malachi real quick. Chapter 3. I want you to hear what Malachi is going to ask here. And ask yourself, is this question being asked today? He says, In verse 14, well, let's start in verse 13. He says, you have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. They have spoken against God. He don't exist. It it, it doesn't really bless to serve the Lord. Uh, uh, Walking with the Lord is not profitable. Uh, Hey, it don't matter. And he says, you have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is not fruitful to serve the Lord. It's not a blessing to serve the Lord. There's no benefits in serving the Lord. Uh, why should I serve the Lord? What do I get out of it? What did we gain by crying out, his, by carrying out his requirements? When, when I'm obedient to his commandments, what is it that I gain? When I'm obedient to his word, what do I gain? What do I profit from it? And those kids at that time with the Roman government being oppressed and everything and, 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 and that hatred of Jewishness, boy, what do you profit in serving Jehovah? And you can ask yourself that same question. What do you profit 
than serving God? What do you profit in believing in Jesus Christ? What do you profit? Do do you really receive the joy of the Lord in your heart? Do you really receive wisdom from God when you lack wisdom and knowledge? Do you see God opening doors for you that no man could open? Do you see God touching your body and giving you strength? Do you see God removing the fears out of your life of what you see and read in the news and so forth? Do you see God act? What benefits you in serving the Lord? Each one of you have to answer that for yourself. Why is God a blessing to me? Why believing in this word helps me? Does it establish my guiding? Is it a real guide to my life? Is it a light to my feet? Does it set a path for me? Does it change me or am I just changing myself? And he says there, boy, you have said it is not fruitful to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. And that's what we do today. We call the unbeliever in a lot of ways blessed. Because he's not under the labor of laws or commands or living like Jesus. He got the freedom to do anything he so desired to do that I feel I can't do. He's the one that's really blessed. Certainly the evildoer prosper. How many of you see the evildoer, the unbeliever prospering? Hey, wouldn't it be nice to sit home and just get a check? Don't have to go to work? I can sit on my porch and drink all day? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great I could tell somebody, my check hasn't come yet? But are you learning to work by the sweat of your brow? That is a blessing. That when you are finished with your work, you can look back and say, I've done a great job. And I only did it through the strength and power of God who enabled me. There's something about work that young people are missing because work is a blessing. Work is discipline. When you're lazy, you'll find you're not very well disciplined. But if you're someone always pushing yourself towards work, you're having to time yourself. You're having to discipline yourself. And while you're working, God teaches you so many other things. And he says, certainly the evildoer prosper. And even those who challenge God escapes. No, they don't escape. They just look like they escape. And John's going to be up against all of this that he has to deal with. That next generation. Go to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. First Kings.
chapter 18, 36 and 37. Before we get there. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your what? Servant. And have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. To these people will know that you are what? O Lord, our God. And that you, that you are turning their hearts back again. Who can only turn a heart? God. God. And John is sent back to turn the hearts to the Father back where? To the children. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Now, righteousness turns away disobedience. When a child is taught to do right, it turns them away from disobedience. But without being taught about righteousness, there's no turning from disobedience because all you have left is just doing it your way and your way is wrong. Well, every man seeth himself right in what? His own eyesight. Every child does that. They see themselves right in their own eyesight. But they've never been taught what is righteous. The only thing that's left is disobedience. The only thing that is left is rebelling against the status quo, per se. Righteousness, though, turns away disobedience. But when the child or person doesn't know what is right, and we see a lot of grown-ups that don't know what, what is right, and the only thing that's left for them is to follow disobedience. In the desert, John learns how to make ready a people for the Lord. How? His own contentment. See, one of the things you have to learn with God, oh, where am I called at? One of the things you have to learn with God in serving Him is being content in the plan that God has set forth for you. You have to be willing to accept the life that God has set forth for you. John could have came out angry, mad, frustrated, everything else. Why give me your Holy Spirit to wait 25 years, 27 years, 28 years before I start in the ministry? Why teach me all this stuff for me to just sit out here in the desert? Because God has an appointed time. God has a time. And you're not going to rush him. When you learn to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, God will exalt you in due time. God will lift you up. When you learn how to wait on the Lord, he will, he will enable you to soar with the eagles because you've learned to wait upon him. In that waiting time, you're learning. And you want to learn to be content. In Philippians 4.11, the whole process is to learn to be content. And one of the things that you and I have a problem with is really learning how to be content. 
And Paul simply says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned. I have learned, no matter what my circumstances is, to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content with my God. I've learned to be content and accept life because God has ordained this. I may not understand why. I may not understand my pain. I may not understand my sickness. I may not understand what I'm going through. But the question is this. Whatever you're going through, are you content with your God? Do you have peace with your God? Have your faith wavered at all with your God? Are you doubting your God at all? Or do you have contentment with Him and the plan that He has for you? And I believe John was content with God's timing. He was content with God's teaching. He was content with what God was doing in his life. He was content. Go back to 2 Kings 1.8. 2 Kings 1.8. Pick this up and hang on to it. Because, see, the whole process... I'm sorry, 1 Kings. No, 2 Kings 1.8. Getting these kings all mixed up. But 2 Kings 1.8. Look at... uh, Then replied, the king has sent some of his men to go and inquire and ask the question. But what I want you to pick up is the description of Elijah. Then I want you to, does it fit John? In, 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 in one eight, I'm not going to read up above because of time's sake. He says, they replied, he was a man because the king asked, go back verse 7, the king asked him, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair. Remember John? And with a leather belt around his what? Remember John? And the king said, that was Elijah the Tisbeth. Now, understand, he recognized just by how he was dressed who it was. Who it was. Go to Matthew 3, 4. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. Kind of like Did Elijah? He's learning. He's learning. Go over to Luke chapter 7 and 25. Luke 11, 25. Oh. 725. I said 11, 7. 725. 
started reading that, and that was the wrong thing. 725. He talks about what did you go out to see? And he says, let's pick up in 24 first. And John's messengers left Jesus and began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see, Jesus asked them. A reed swayed by the wind? No, he had a strong spirit. So he wasn't going to be what? Wishy-washy. If not what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, he's in camel hair. No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. Who might he be talking about? Herod (coughs) and others. The Pharisees, (laughs) Sadducees, they're in fine clothing. They're in this, they're in that. But where is John at? Out in the desert. Because we might minister does not mean we live in the highest things or we dress in the latest fashions. But we are content with our God. Because in the desert place where he was content, God provided for him. And the second, he didn't learn from the temple, but from the Lord. He didn't learn from the temple. Now imagine there were some things he may have learned from his his father. But in the desert place, guess what? He's not bombarded with all the city stuff. He's not bombarded with all the worldly things. He's not bombarded with all the different philosophies that come into Jerusalem from different parts of the world. He's out there in the desert learning from Jesus. Learning from Jesus. You got Paul learning from Jesus. And then you got the whole process of what 1 John 227 says to us, you have no need to learn from who? From man. For you have the anointing who will teach you. Now be that anointing is the Holy Spirit that will teach you. Then in John 14, 25, he says the Father will send the teacher unto you. And then Paul in Galatians 1, 11 and 12 said, I didn't learn this of man but of Jesus Christ. Let me share this with you people. Never leave here quoting what Pastor Brown said. Because what I say has very little value. Very little. But what God says to you in his word, and the most important thing that you can say to someone, that God spoke to me during service this morning, showed me the scripture, and spoke to my heart, and share that. 
Share what the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has spoken to you about. If you have a consciousness, He's talking to you. He's speaking to you. And what the Holy Spirit shares with you, that's what you want to share with others. Why? You have no man to really teach you. I can share information with you. But it takes God, the Holy Spirit, to teach you and to convict you that this is true. I can't do that. I cannot convict you that this is true. But the Holy Spirit If you have an ear to hear, he will convict you. So it's not about what Pastor Brown says. And remember what Scripture says? Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, he will teach you far more than what I've taught you. Remember what John speaks about? There's not enough books that can be written to capture all of this. But understand the Holy Spirit knows the very heart of God. The Spirit that taught John in the desert, the Spirit that gave John contentment, the Spirit that gave John the message to preach, He'll also minister to you. That you can prepare the way of the Lord in the life of someone. That you can help someone to understand that if I confess my sins and I repent of my sins, I can be forgiven of those sins. And I can experience salvation in Jesus Christ. You have a powerful message. That's one of the reasons I stand back Jesus said, yeah, there's no greater one born than John the Baptist. But that last one in is greater than who? John the Baptist. That army that he puts in there. John the Baptist is up here. But yet, that last one who really believes can be what? even greater than John the Baptist. That's an honor. Father, we want to thank you for John the Baptist and for what you're doing and what you have done in his life and you are, re- and you are duplicating that in our lives. That we might be someone or a voice crying in the wilderness of today. Crying out in all the confusion of different philosophies of today. Knowing that, Lord, we can save no one. But knowing yet, Lord, we have a message of salvation 
to a dying world. We have a message that we can share with our sons and daughters. We have a message that we can share with our grandchildren. We have a message that we can share with our neighbors. We have a message, oh God, that is powerful because it is not our message, it is your message. And we're not ashamed of it because we know that that message is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, may you truly minister to us that you called us to be your witnesses. And as we continue to look at John, help us, Lord, to see ourselves. Help us to see what you desire to do in each one of our lives. Help us to see, O oh God, and to understand and to do for the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to give, we give with thanksgiving. We give recognizing, Lord, we can't pay you for the forgiveness of our sins. There's nothing that we can do, oh God, in and of ourselves to change our life. But it takes the working, miraculous hand of God touching us to change us. But in everything else in the Christian life, it is based on our obedience unto you. And Lord, we give here, Lord, out of obedience. We give out of faith. We give, O oh God, that the name of Jesus might continue to go forth. And we pray, Father, that you would use what is given to further your kingdom and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.